0: you have your Bibles with you, would you open them tonight to Exodus chapter 8? Last week, we began a brand new sermon series entitled, Traveling with Moses. And we're looking tonight at a message called, The Finger of God. The Finger of God. Exodus chapter 8, beginning with verse 16 through verse 19. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod. He smote the dust of the earth, and it became the lice in men and beasts, All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. The magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So they were lice upon men and upon beasts. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, the sorcerers, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened yet again. And he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. I call your attention once again to verse 19. The magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. What we're seeing is the hand of God. Our story is simple. Simple. We are witnessing a showdown, a gunfight, if you will, between Moses and Pharaoh. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know whenever you see, humanly speaking, God's man versus Satan's man, you're seeing much more than just a human confrontation you're also seeing a confrontation between God and the devil. Moses is a proxy for God. Pharaoh is a proxy for the devil. No different than David and Goliath or Elijah versus the 450 false prophets of Baal. There's a human dimension and there is a divine dimension. And once again, we see that here. Now, in this showdown, which has already begun, we see in round three, because that's what we just read, round three, we begin to see a turning point take place. Now, let me give you a quick look back so you'll kind of understand what I'm going to say. In round one of this showdown, between God's man Moses Satan's man, Pharaoh. Moses has turned the waters of the Nile River into blood. He did that through the power of God. Now this miracle of God through Moses, round one, is replicated by the magicians, the sorcerers of Pharaoh, using human tricks, or satanic power, they too have the ability to turn water into blood. Therefore, Pharaoh says to Moses, I don't want to listen to anything you've got to say. Your tricks are no different than what I can do. That brings us to round two. Moses unleashes a swarm of frogs on Egypt. Frogs, frogs, frogs. Everywhere, frogs. Frogs high, frogs low, frogs to the left, frogs to the right. Frogs out front, frogs in the back. In your house, frogs. Outside your house, frogs. You're cooking frogs, you're sleeping with frogs. You're bathing with frogs. Frogs are everywhere. Dirty, slimy, nasty frogs. Moses brings the frogs through a miracle of God. Pharaoh's magicians, Pharaoh's sorcerers, they also bring frogs and add to the frogs. Once again, they use magic tricks or Satan's power, but they do the same thing that God does through Moses. They do, through however they did it. That now brings us to round three, which we just read. Moses, under the leadership of the Lord, through the power of the Lord, covers Egypt with lice. Have you ever had lice on you? I hope you haven't. If you do, let us know, because we'll clear out that section. (laughs) Lice are kind of like bedbugs. Kind of like fleas. Kind of like ticks. They're just difficult to deal with. And Moses, through the power of the Lord, has unleashed a plague of lice on the Egyptians. These tiny little creatures that bite, that irritate, that want to live inside of your skin because they're parasites and they like blood. They're all over Egypt. You get up in the morning, scratching. You go to bed in the evening, covered from head to toe with measle-like spots from where they have bitten you. Pharaoh's magicians, Pharaoh's sorcerers, they try to perform this miracle, but they can't. Now, they were able to turn the water into blood. They were able to bring frogs. But in round three, all of a sudden, their tricks are futile. And the power of Satan that they may have been using has been stymied. They are unable to duplicate. They are unable to replicate. They are unable to copy the miracle that Moses has done through the power of God. They can't do it. And so the magicians and sorcerers for the very first time in round three, they go to Pharaoh and they say, listen... You might ought to let the Hebrews go. Because their God is doing something that we cannot do. He might be greater than our gods. And Pharaoh says to the magicians, No. They're not going anywhere. They're going to stay here. They're going to continue to be our servants, our slaves. They're our We're going to continue to work them. They're not leaving anywhere. Now that's the story in a nutshell. We're looking at round three of the showdown. Now what are some things that we can learn from this? Because remember in the Old Testament, you often read the story and then you look for truths or principles that you can glean from the story that will help you where you're at right now. It will help me where I'm at right now. These are not just stories about yesterday, but actually they're stories about today. They're not just truths for then, they're truths for now. So very quickly, what are some things that we can learn? This is not a long message for those of you who are watching your watch. What are some truths we can learn? Truth number one is Satan has power. Satan has power. His power is limited, his power is subject to God's sovereign control. But Satan has power, and with that power, Satan can heal, Satan can perform miracles. Satan can do supernatural things. He can do extraordinary things even to deceive the elect if the elect are not wise in the Lord. Think about what Satan has done through Pharaoh's magicians and sorcerers. First of all, remember when Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh? Pharaoh said, who in the world sent you? They said, I am that I am, sent us. Pharaoh said, well, who's he? And Moses said, let me show you. And remember, he dropped the rod on the ground. And the rod turned to serpent. Well, what did Pharaoh's magicians and sorcerers do? They, too, had rods. The Bible says they dropped theirs on the ground. And what did their rods turn into? Serpents. How could they do that? How could they turn the waters of the Nile River into blood? How could they bring forth more frogs to add to the frogs God had already sent to Egypt? How could they do that? Was it sleight of hand? Was it magic tricks? Was it some grand scale illusion? Maybe. Maybe. But you know what the probable answer is? They were operating under the power of darkness. It was Satan that turned that rod into serpents. It was Satan that turned that water into blood. It was Satan that brought forth those frogs. God allowed him to do it till God said, You're not doing it no more. And they then they could not replicate the plague of lice. Satan has power, ladies and gentlemen. His power is limited. His power is control, but he has power. Remember the story of the maniac of Gadara? He lived in the cemetery. He was crazy. He was naked. He cut himself. He was a madman. And the people of the town constantly tried to go out and arrest him. But the Bible says that they'd put handcuffs on him and he'd tear them off. They'd put a straitjacket on him, he'd bust it out. They'd put chains on his legs and he'd break the chains. The maniac of Gadara had Superman strength. They tried to grab him, he'd throw him off. Where did he get this kind of power from? It came from darkness. The Bible tells us that one day in the future, the last Caesar to this world is coming. The last dictator to this world is coming. His name is Antichrist. He'll be the last world ruler. He'll establish the Fourth Reich. The new world order will come with him. A one world government, a one world church, a one world economic system. And the Bible says about halfway through his administration he will be assassinated. Somebody will shoot him in the head. His body will lay in state as the world looks at their leader in a coffin. Perhaps no different than our nation looked at the coffin of John F. Kennedy when he was assassinated. John F. Kennedy didn't come back from the dead but the Antichrist will. On worldwide television, the Bible says, he will rise up out of that casket. His head wound miraculously healed. And he will demand worship from the world as God. He will mimic the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where does he get the ability to mimic this resurrection or come back from this deadly wound that supposedly killed him? Where does he get that power from? From Satan. Understand, your pastor, Satan has power. It's limited, it's controlled, but he has power. With that power, he can give strength like the maniac of Gadara. With that power, he can heal like he will the Antichrist. With that power, he can do extraordinary things to deceive people. That's why when you see people do healings, when you see people perform miracles, when you see supernatural things are happening, don't you just assume it's God. It may not be God. It may be the power of darkness at work to deceive people. So when we see from our story, first of all, Satan has power. And he gave that power to the magicians and the sorcerers of Pharaoh. To God said, you're not having it no more. Secondly, another truth I see from our story is the finger of God, whenever it shows up, sin, and judgment are going to be dealt with. Whenever you see God's finger appear, whenever you see the hand of God appear, it's not usually something that's going to be pleasant. God is going to be dealing with sin and God is going to be bringing judgment. Satan's Pharaoh's magicians and sorcerers, when they saw what God was doing and they couldn't do it, they said to Pharaoh, (laughs) that's the finger of his God. That's the hand of his God. We cannot replicate that. We cannot duplicate that. We don't have that kind of power. Can you remember in the Bible when God's finger has appeared at other occasions? What about when Moses received the Ten Commandments? He came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. According to the book of Deuteronomy, they were written in stone. Who wrote them? Moses? No. God did with His what? His hand, His finger. He carved the Ten Commandments into those stones that God's people would know what He expected of them, what is right, what is wrong. If, it's, if they do right, they'll live. If they do wrong, they'll die. The Ten Commandments were all about righteousness and how to live. God wanted His people to know that because if they disobeyed that, they would die. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. So that sinneth will die. Then you remember the story of King Belshazzar. King Belshazzar? He was having a drunken party. All the booze was flowing. The women were loose. Everybody was having a good time enjoying their wickedness until God shows up. And on the wall, a finger begins to write at the party. I wonder, when we get to heaven, can we look back and see a movie of that? I'd love to see the look on those drunkards' faces and those fornicators' faces and those profane, vulgar speaking people's faces when all of a sudden they're sitting there and... and a hand appears out of nowhere, and a finger starts writing on the wall. What would you do if a hand appeared behind me and started writing? (laughs) I tell you what you need to do, you better get right. (laughs) Because when God showed up that day with his finger in his hand, he had a message for Belshazzar. Can I paraphrase the message? The days of your administration is now come to an end. You have been weighed on the scales of righteousness and you've found to be a lightweight. You're found wanting. Your kingdom is about to be snatched from you and given to the Medes and the Persians. So once again, God shows up. In the Ten Commandments, he's telling his people, this is how I want you to live. If you don't, you will pay a price. To the king, he writes a letter, a notice. (laughs) Your administration has come to an end. Prepare to meet your God. The Medes and the Persians are at your door. They're coming. And then remember the Lord Jesus Jesus begins to write, and the accusers disappear. Again, what was he writing? Maybe he was writing the accusers' names down there. Bill, Charlie, Tom, Jerry. And maybe he was writing who they'd been fooling around with on the side. And maybe when they saw their name in the dirt, and their sin in the dirt, and they got to thinking, if we're going to stone her to death, we're going to get stoned to death. Maybe they decided to drop the charges because every one of them left. What I'm trying to get you to see is whenever the hand of God, the finger of God, shows up, sin is going to be dealt with and judgment's coming. When those magicians and sorcerers went to Pharaoh and said, this is the finger of God, what they were saying to him, whether he understood it all or not at that moment, was, we've got a problem with God. And they really did. The third truth that we see here is Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Every time he said no. And each round of this showdown, and each round of this heavyweight boxing match, if you want to use that term, God gives Pharaoh an altar call. He gives an invitation to Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, I love you. I have a plan and purpose for your life. I can use you in a great and mighty way. If you will just worship me, put your faith in me, repent of your sin, let my people go, I will make you my son and bless you far beyond anything you could ever imagine. And every time God speaks to Pharaoh... The Bible says Pharaoh answers with a what? No. No, I'm not interested. Go away. Round one, the offer. Round two, the offer. Round three, the offer. And as we're going to see in the weeks to come, the offer is given every single time. And each time Pharaoh hardens his heart. And says no. And every time you harden your heart to God and say no when he's calling you to do something. Each time you do that, the next no will be easier than the no before it. Pharaoh's spiritual heart is hardening every time he says no. It's becoming colder. It's becoming more callous. It's becoming more corrupt. God keeps calling him, he keeps saying no. Eventually, Pharaoh's going to reach the point of no return. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there is a line. I don't know where the line is in your life. You don't know where it is in my life. We don't know where it is in anybody's life. But I believe there is a line in everybody's life that when we cross it, God will not call us ever again. And when that happens, it's over with. You don't come to God anytime you feel like it. You come to God when He comes to you. When He calls you. When He convicts you. That's when you come. And He's calling Pharaoh. Pharaoh, come. Come. Pharaoh says no. Pharaoh, come! Pharaoh says no. And he says no over and over and over again. What Pharaoh is starting to commit is called the unpardonable sin in Matthew chapter 12. It's a sin where you cross the line and go beyond the point of no return. It's where you say no for the last time. The unpardonable sin is not hard to understand. It's a deliberate attitude and action of absolute rejection of the Lord. Knowing full well what you're doing. Convicted full well in your heart what you're doing. Understanding the call of God and what He's saying to you. Knowing all of that. Convicted of all of that hearing the call of God, you say no for the last time. And when you do that, it's over for you. God will leave you alone. Turn out the lights, it's over. He will never come back to you, He will never call you again. You're sentenced to hell. The Bible doesn't tell us of many who cross that line and I don't believe there's many that do because God is patient with people. He's long-suffering with people. He puts up with a lot with people, does He not? But the religious leaders crossed that line. Pharaoh crossed it, as we're going to see later in our series. But the religious leaders crossed it. I want you to, let's just close by turning in our Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, we're going to read some scripture verses where the unpardonable sin is mentioned. By the way, only an unsaved man can commit this sin. So if you're saved, don't sit here and worry worry yourself about it. But if you're unsaved, you need to think about this. Because remember, what is it? The unpardonable sin is a deliberate, willful, knowing rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing full well in your mind who He is and what you are. Knowing the conviction of the Spirit of God upon you about your sin and your need to do something with Jesus hearing the call of this loving Savior for you to come and give your life to Him. And in spite of all of that, you look at Him with your hatred in your eyes. You bow up your fist at Him and say, I hate you, go away and don't come back. And you don't have to say it in words, you can say it right there. The religious leaders, Matthew chapter 12 beginning with verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil. They're speaking of Jesus. Someone was brought to Jesus who was possessed with the demon. This demon had caused blindness and dumbness, and Jesus healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spoke and saw again. All the people were amazed, verse 23, and they said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees... Now, who are the Pharisees? They're the religious leaders. The religious leaders. When they heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by the power of Beelzebub the prince of the demons, the devil himself. Jesus knew their thoughts. Think about that. He not only heard what they said, he read their mind. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan castes out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall his kingdom stand? If Elizabeth cast out devils, by whom do you your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Verse 28, But I cast out these devils or demons. By the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. How else can one enter into a strong man's house and take his goods, except he first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Verse 31, now follow what Jesus is going to say. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven to men. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the world to come. The issue isn't that the Pharisees accused Jesus of having the devil working with him to cast out demons. That wasn't the issue. That was really just the icing on the cake. The Pharisees, for the last time, were utterly rejecting him, knowing full well who he was. They said, we don't want you. And they utterly, totally, completely, deliberately, willfully rejected him as Savior and Lord. That's what the unpardonable sin is. Notice the Holy Spirit is mentioned. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? The ministry of the Holy Spirit, according to John chapter 16, verse 8 and following, is to convict the world of sin, call the world to righteousness, and announce to the world judgment. So the Holy Spirit is all about bringing men and women to who? Who who does he bring them to? Jesus. So when you reject the coming and the call and the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, you're really rejecting the one who sent the Holy Spirit, and that's Jesus. And the religious leaders, knowing who He was, they weren't ignorant of who He was, convicted of their sin called by Jesus to come for the last time said we're not coming in fact we're not only not coming you are kin to the devil Jesus and when they said that that was the straw that broke the camel's back and the offer to be saved would never be given to them again Pharaoh is headed that direction. Sadly to say, he will reach it. As we continue on in our story a little bit later. Heads are bowed in Isaac.